0: Chris Moss here with the Inside Line podcast. This time round, we're teaming up with former BSB champ John Reynolds. The fans' favourite from Nottingham spoke to us about his title-winning 2004 season when he rode for Rizla Suzuki. Turned out to be really enlightening with John telling us lots of stuff, including the ups and downs of his year, the importance of teamwork, and watching Yuki Okageyama doing a bit of dancing with no clothes on. Hi, John. Uh, hope you're doing well, though I would imagine, like the rest of us, life's a bit different for you now during this lockdown.
1: Yeah, very much so, Chris. But you know what? It's the sun's shining. The gardens never look better. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the, dogs, the dogs never walk so far. So, uh, yeah, off
0: at the it's cool. I, I think you may be shattering any rock and roll image punters may have of you.
1: When you're in lockdown, there's nothing else
0: you can do, is there? Uh, I think it's a time for great reflection. And on that note, uh, I'll tell you what I want to do, John, to give us a bit of a, sort of an idea of what life is like as a professional racer. I just want to ask you sort of how serious and pressured the life of a leading British superbike contender is. I, I mean, I'd imagine it's a tough and demanding business.
1: Very much so. I mean, of course, the older you get as well. I mean, I was on that year, I was, uh, I think, 41 uh, coming into the start of the season. Well, of course, you know, I was as fit as I was when I was 20, but I just had to work a lot harder to do it. You know, a lot more training and uh, a lot more bicycling and all that sort of thing. But regarding stress, my dad always said to me, <clears throat> you're only as good as the last race. Well, you know what? You know, you just can't afford to have too many bad weekends, can you?
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll come to those in a bit more detail. But, I mean, does it generally take over your life, John? Is it all consuming? Does nothing else matter?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Right, from um, You get Christmas out of the way, and then, of course, all the testing starts. Then it really gets serious, and then you just have to knuckle down. And yes, to be honest with you, you don't think anything else, or very little else, apart from what the job is in hand which was to win the british superbike championship and uh, you know when you've got a massive team around you're spending lots and lots of money to get that job done and it's down to you to do it at the end of the day you know you, there's a massive team behind you of course and they're all working flat out to do the job but at the end of the day i'm sat on the line
0: uh, do you know what? i can i can fit you you've described it so well i can feel the bloody pressure now
1: i'll tell you what towards the end of that year it was the penultimate round at Oldham Park. I know I'm jumping in a bit too far into the year, but on about pressure, I do remember uh, that we got onto the grid, onto the second race of the penultimate round at Oldham Park, and, of course, the minute ball comes up, the tyre warm has come off, the engine starts, and then you get a pack on, pack on the back from all your pit crew. And uh, I just thought as they walked off, how much pressure could a human being take before he goes to start racing yep. bonkers?
0: I mean, you know, could, could you go about life uh, when you were away from the paddock during the season? You know, when you were down the supermarket or whatever, or walking your dog, were you always sort of tempted to think about racing? Is it sort of something your head could never really escape from?
1: Very much so, yeah. There's very little time that you do anything without thinking about what's going to happen for next weekend. You know, of course, you get back. all your gear's got to be cleaned and uh, the microphone got to be sorted out. Uh, and everything revolves about bike racing, to be honest with you. And uh, then you start planning for what you're going to be doing the next weekend and, uh, you know, what the circuit is and what the settings were and how you're going to perform, basically. And it was always the fear of failure that was the biggest problem with me. You know, it wasn't the, uh, the nerves of being scared about it. I was more scared about failure.
0: Uh, and I mean, can, can you enjoy it then all of the time, John? Or, I mean, we'll, we'll come to bad days that you had that season, but can you enjoy it or is it too serious? I mean, you know your club racing days when you just do it for fun. It's not like that anymore, is it, at top level? You
1: know what? It was never fun for me in the first place. It was fun. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to win races. and the, You know what? i tell you, there was one particular time I was testing. Uh, this is early on in my career. We're testing in Alderley Park, and uh, it was a beautiful day. And I came out of jail thinking, "What a fantastic job this is!" You know, next minute the bike went sideways and pitched me over the handlebars, massive yeah. high side. And then I realized i realized, that's from there on there the other in. You know, just that two percent of lack of concentration, it all goes pear shaped. So, uh, and. Every time I honestly, if I felt happy on a Sunday morning, I had a
0: crap day. <laughs> yeah, I, I spoke to you uh, probably a couple of years ago. Uh, I think we were talking about Rossi, and you said that you envied the fact that he seemed to be able to enjoy it and be happy even at oh, race no, I weekend. I
1: remember, I remember that conversation, and uh, it's a conversation I had with Neil McKenzie. We all, you know, we were talking about that, and I said, wouldn't it have been lovely? To look back at the career and you've actually enjoyed doing it. The only thing about the enjoyment was having done it, <laughs> not having to do it. Just, you know, the, the feel, that feeling of having a great weekend, you know, possibly qualifying on pole, coming away with two wins. And that feeling, if you could bottle that, that feeling on the way home, if you could bottle that, you'd make
0: millions. I mean, is it a bit like climbing Everest? Can you only enjoy it sort of when you get back down to the bottom almost?
1: Absolutely, because I hate tight anyway, so uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have enjoyed that one, climbing Mount Everest. But yeah, that's what it is. It's, because it's such a dangerous sport, I suppose. I mean, uh, you know, you, you just can't tell your eye off the ball and you never take anything for granted. And uh, you, every time you get on a bike, you want to make it the best performance you can do. And it, <laughs> danger, stress, and everything else that goes with it, uh, it's hard to enjoy. And that's yeah. why I admire Rossi so much, purely because, you know, he can actually play about and Look like he's having fun. I don't know whether he is or not, but I'm sure he is, and uh, that's a great
0: thing to do. I mean, what what sort of guy were you like to be around then, John, at uh, at the race paddock? <laughs> well,
1: one of my mechanics used to call me uh, MLB, and i would say little bastard. I was. <laughs> uh, it was uh, no, I, was, I mean I was all right. I was I was just very focused, but always hopefully polite and pleasant, you know, and, you know, you've got to really appreciate that the guys you're working with want the same as what you want. So that's, that's tough win races, really, and, uh, you know, there's no point in falling out with anybody, is it? Even when things went wrong, I never fell out with anybody.
0: But, I mean... Out with me. <laughs> I mean, I, I dare say you weren't smiling and cracking jokes very often.
1: No, no. I mean, once I got into the garage, see, for the practice or qualify and it was shutters down and uh, you know just leave me alone really and, but yeah the, people knew that working around me because see I wasn't much in the mood for having a having a laugh and a joke if people were laughing and joking around I'd tell them to calm down <laughs> you know, say, you know when uh, you've got a massive pressure around you you're there to to, to do the job and you, you just want to get it done but to be honest with you I was very very few times that I'd, I'd even think about it because all the teams I work with were totally professional. I'm thinking more about looking at other teams sometimes, you know, laughing and joking, and thinking, "How the hell can you be so jovial when there's a massive job in, you know, in hand to do?" But anyway, that's, so a lot of people work in different ways, don't
0: they? Yes, indeed, indeed. That Rossi bloke seems to do quite well for being uh, jolly and happy at the race weekends.
1: He hasn't done bad, has he?
0: <laughs> now, 2004 was your third year with the Suzuki team, the Risler Suzuki team. Um, how did you rate your chances at the beginning of the year? I mean, you'd finished runner-up the previous year. Did, did you think that the bike would be good enough? And, and what rivals did you expect to give you a hard time?
1: Well, if we can go back to 2003, the year before, I thought we had a proper good chance of winning the championship that year. And uh, I'm, I'm leading into something now, so just bear with me. You know, every test we went on, we were, we were quickest over and in Spain and then in, in the UK, things were looking good. It came to the uh, first round in 2003 at uh, Silverstone. and went out on the Super lap and uh, ended up crashing and breaking my collarbone on the first round. So that put paid to that year. And I do remember the, the start of 2004, just before I went out for qualifying, uh, Paul Derry said to me, he said, uh, don't forget, mate, he said, you can't win the championship on the first round, but you can lose it. And that yep. was true. You know, so... Uh, yeah, so it was um, it was a start of a great year. So to answer your question, I was convinced and I knew that the bike was good enough and I think I was riding well enough. You know, we had a proper good chance of winning the championship in 2004.
0: Did 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 you think anyone would uh, rival you and give you a hard time in particular?
1: Yeah, there was key and R. It wasn't there. Was Michael Rutter, He did a good job that year on the HM plant Honda. Uh, and of course, my, my teammate, Yukio, you know, I mean, when he's on his day, he's one of the fastest riders ever. (laughs) But, uh, so, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I knew there's a lot of good riders out there, but I just felt like I was as good as them and uh, I wanted it probably more than they did.
0: (laughs) I mean, let's just sort of uh, cover the the season. Um, You you actually led it from the first round um, and that lead varied from... uh, 70, up to 73 points at one stage and finished with a ninety uh, 29 point advantage uh, you had 6 race wins you had 18 rostrums and 2 poles now w- what were the highs and lows for you John um, I mean I, I took great interest in going through your season from a results point of view last night but and, and there are some highs um, you know the double at Alton uh, and, yeah. and and you had fairly poor rounds at Croft and uh, there's another one somewhere was it uh, Cadwell I think Cadwell I think. it was Cadwell yeah. yeah. Um,
1: well Cadwell Park we uh, I mean usually on your sketchy conditions if I remember rightly uh, I think I remember thinking as well that Michael Rutter was up for the championship as well and we seem to spend most of our time giving each other the best possible chance to win the championship. <laughs> Because so, I think mean, Michael went out on, uh, on the tires. I mean, the same race at Cadwater expected it to be wet, but it didn't rain, it was damp and it dried out. But I was on a set of intermediates. And in those conditions, you know, normally I'm I'm fine, you know, wet, dry, anything. Yeah. So we had a dodgy front tire. And uh, I, I just managed to get the bike home. I don't know, I think it's about nine or 10th place, I think it was.
0: Uh, I've got you down as uh, race... Two eighth. 8th, you, you had a DNF Eight, yeah. in the first race, didn't yeah. you? Did you crash at uh, going ah, into Charlie's?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. And you know what, that crash started coming out of uh, Bon Corner, and I was chasing the two Hondas of Keogh and uh, Marco Rutter, and I um, had a bit of a slide and lost about 15 yards to them. So I thought, oh no, so I sort of went into the bottom of, the, in fact, turn one up the hill. It's a bit quicker than I had been doing all weekend. Uh, oh, so yeah. Yep. And I tried to get the bike back to go to charlie's one and I went as a shut off i go down to third gear but this particular time i shut off went to third and it stayed in fourth oh it should be wide the bar was just it wasn't pulling into the corner tight enough and uh put me onto the grass and had a monumental crash there so that was the first race yes i remember that one well but as i say that that crash started at barn <laughs>
0: and uh, you talk, talk to me about the sort of mood in the garage after that i mean you know you, Previously, you had your highest points advantage. You know, after Mallory, you were 73 points ahead, and then suddenly—actually, mm-hmm. uh, that's not true. It followed Croft when you had a 50-point advantage, but suddenly you're on the floor. What what sort of things go through your mind from a championship point of view? There, John. Yeah, it
1: wasn't a good weekend. Actually, I remember actually reading in motorcycle news before I got there. That Paul Denning said that my job wasn't safe. <laughs> and,
0: uh, Is this before Cadwell?
1: Yeah, before Cadwell. I thought, what's all that about? You know, why, why are you saying things like that? And I'm sure he was just trying to keep me focused, but that worked the other way for me. So I went into Cadwell with a bit of a downer. Yeah. And of course, that crash was a total disaster. And then uh, the second race, it was, it was basically a duff tyre on the on the front that didn't really work properly. And it was, a, it was a, that was probably the lowest point of the year to be
0: fair with you. What? Well, well, how long does it take you to sort of recover from a bad weekend like that? I mean are, are you chipper again on Monday morning or nothing of the sort?
1: No, nothing of the sort. No, it takes you a good, excuse me, a good two or three days to get over it and then yeah. start getting your head back together again and then thinking about uh, where do you go after cattle?
0: Well I was just about to say the perfect antidote came at Alton when you had your first double win of the season. I would imagine... Wow, was that the penultimate round? Was that the it was. One? Penultimate round, yeah. Two yeah. wins at Alton.
1: That's the one where I knew everything had to work out right. That was probably the highlight of the year, to be fair. Apart from winning the championship, of course.
0: So, I mean, after Alton and that double win, you're back up to a 43-point advantage. It's, the championship's looking good. I mean, what's the drive home like then? I mean, do you, do you stop for a, a, a beer? <laughs> or nothing... <laughs> Is it still too uh, serious? I,
1: I, I think I did go for a beer actually in a local pub just around the corner. Just to, uh, in fact, I did, yeah. It was uh, quite a nice day that was, to be
0: fair. Well, were you the sort of nicest, happiest, polite, and greatest guy to be around then after Alton that weekend? Well,
1: that was all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, know, you know that, that drug, that if you could bottle it, it would sell, you made millions out of it. That's how I felt going home. It was just one of those elated feelings where, you know, the, the, you, you had a tough weekend. We ended up coming away with two wins and you know, you thought, wow, that's, that's proper. And then, you know, for a fact that you've got a good chance of, you know, going for the championship. But, um, I do remember halfway through that week, Sean Emmett phoned me up. John, he said, I can't believe it. He said, I just had the from on the phone. And said, so if, if I take you out on the first corner at Onington <laughs> he said, I'll, I'll, you'll buy me a brand new fire blade.' And then he put the phone down, straight on the phone to, uh, to Paul Denning, and said, Paul, you can't believe what I've just heard. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, it was a winder, but that's yeah. what Sean Emmett was like. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, is. I mean, you know, um, y- you spoke about the rivals that you rated before the season. Did, did that sort of change... Uh, throughout the year I would imagine focus must have been directed more and more towards Rutter because he was always behind you, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, but to be fair, it was more Keogh I was worried about than Michael. Yeah, but Michael had a, a proper good year that year. He was riding really well. And uh you know, fair play to him for that. But he it took it all away, didn't he? he, he done, I don't know how many wins he had, but he, he rode well. But he wasn't he wasn't the at the beginning of the beginning of the year I didn't think he'd be the man I'd be worried about so much. But it turned out it was in the end.
0: I would imagine you constantly have to reassess during the course of the season. You know, you'd be making changes to the bike, maybe the way the team works, certainly your attitude towards uh, rivals. Is that true?
1: Yeah, you know what? I've learned over the years I was racing that never underestimate anybody. You know, always never never get complacent. Always think the worst and hope for the best if you like. That's the attitude I always had. but as regards the bike, I mean, the bike was in a in a ballpark configuration whereby everywhere we went with it, you know, we had data from the year before, so we sort of hit the ground running with it. You know, we had a good year, uh, a good pre-season test, everything worked good. The, the team was gelled, obviously we've been working together for four years, and uh, it, was, it was just right. Everything was right. There was nothing, you know, the bike was absolutely spot on every single weekend. And all we need to do is, dog tweak here and there you know depending on the weather conditions and whatever but uh, that
0: that, were well everywhere. that must have been a very good feeling then knowing that you know you, you didn't have too much sort of development work to do and it wasn't going to be a challenge or too much of a challenge technically
1: well that's it i mean the development work was uh, done in the year before if you like and go through your bike and uh, it was a proper proper good thing but so uh, we we got it dialed in I mean, it's different when we first, when I first jumped on the Suzuki, you know, it was a mile away, but, you know, working blood, sweat and tears from, uh, everybody, you know, we, yeah. we turned the bike into a championship winning bike. I mean, it must
0: have been, you, you were the first man to win on a thousand CC four-cylinder, four-cylinder bike. Uh, how satisfying was that?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Coming down pit lane and seeing the pit crew there, they are going absolutely bomb me That is what it's all about, you know, make, you know, everybody happy. is a lovely feeling. And, uh, They'd all worked so so hard, and you know we'd had big problems with things breaking and stuff like that. But it was a brand new project, a brand new bike, and uh, you know we we're pushing the bike to the limits and uh, over the limits
0: sometimes. What what, what, yeah. what sort of what what sort of things uh, did you sort of face as challenges in those initial times on the bike, John? What needed sorting the most? You got on that GSXR thousand when it was a new bike.
1: Yeah. We. Uh, I won the championship on a Ducati in 2001, uh, then I signed for Suzuki uh, for the start of 2002. But one of the biggest problems was it, it was very stiff to start with and uh, lack of mid-range power.
0: You're not just talking about the suspension there, you're talking about the chassis stiffness and the way it sort of, uh, you know, reacts.
1: Yeah, more the suspension, to be fair. We tried to run it harder than we needed to. And when I first started racing it, in fact, I think the first round at Donington, I had a crash. And it wasn't a crash. It, the, the crash was caused by the aftermath of the slide. So in other words, I came out of Redgate. The bike went sideways, but then it tied itself up in knots and then struck me over the handlebars. So it was just too hard. And then so little things like that, was, then we started softening it off and it made it more user-friendly. But the biggest problem was trying to get more mid-range into the, uh, the engine. And to be fair, you know, there's a lot of time on a superbike that you use in the mid range to punch yourself out of corners. And as you well know, you know what it's right. Like. You can't have a big hold in the in the horsepower. So that's what we did. We uh, well, the lads did anyway. I, see, the thing is, I'm not an engineer. All I do is come back and say what I feel the problem is, and then it's up yep. to the the good team around you to then sort out what the problem is and then make it better for you. And that's exactly what they did.
0: I mean, did did that take sort of half a season at least to get to your liking?
1: It took a full season. We just started getting getting out right together towards the end of the year. We went to home Park, uh, sorry, to Brands Archie and we won a race, and that's when we knew we'd, we'd hit on something. And uh, you know, now it looks like we we are going to be contenders rather than also fans.
0: Got you. I mean, it, it's definitely a team game. This bike racing lark, isn't it? I mean, um, how. How crucial is it to have a good team and to get on with them and sort of have a good relationship and rapport with each and every oh, one of them?
1: Yeah, it's, it's massive, mate. Because, uh, you know, consistency as well, working with the team, I, you know, I've been uh, riding for you know, my best mate from the Red Bull Ducati for four or five years. i am not been conceited here, but it was set up around me. And then, you know, we all got together as a family and worked together. Well, jumping with the Suzuki bunch, You know with Paul Denning and all his crew I didn't know them from Adam so we have to form friendships uh, right from the word go and you know you're not sure exactly how it's all going to pan out but uh, so when you're working with people you don't know that's not easy for a start you've got to get to know people and that's why I always say you know when these riders swap from one team to the other year after year it's not a good thing you know even if you think the bike isn't as good as it should be I can stick with it um because Consistency is 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 a massive thing in the sport, and yes, getting on with your your, your team is is absolutely important because if it's somebody in the team that's whining, you, which I've never had, but it wouldn't be a good feeling to go to work when you when you don't like somebody.
0: And how well did you get on with Paul Denning then? And was Les Pearson your crew chief, or was it Pete Jennings no, no. or someone else?
1: Uh, a guy called Oz. He was a Aust- he was Australian. His name was yeah. Oz. Well, that's what we called him anyway. Davey's name. He was a grey bloke.
0: So, you know, what defines a good relationship? Do you Sort of an understanding, uh, you know, uh, an an ability to sort of communicate quite freely and frankly and honestly?
1: Yeah, you've got to be able to talk honestly with your your crew chief and with the mechanics and everything, and uh, you've got to trust them as well. You know, you're riding a bike that they're working on, and you've... uh, I don't know, it's just, yeah, it's trust. If, if you don't trust somebody you're working with, I, I can imagine that's going to be an absolute nightmare. You know, when, when you come in and you, you sit down and you liaise with them and say, this is a problem, that's a problem, and nine hours out of ten, you go back out and the problem's solved. You know, that's, uh, that's a great thing to have. But uh, honestly, trust and, uh, and understanding with your crew, crew chief is, is vital.
0: Did, did you sort of socialise much with them away from the race circuits?
1: No, really. We, uh, of course, they, they were down in Bournemouth and I was yep. up in uh, Nottinghamshire. I'd have chose not to socialise with them, to be honest with you, yep. purely because uh, it, it was a job and it wasn't yep. something that, you know, I was... I don't know, it's just one of those things that's just how I was always been. I do remember socialising once. We went down to uh, to Bournemouth and it was Yukio Kageyama's, I think, 30th birthday party. So we're, we're all, the team was invited. The pit girl, girls were there you know, the grid girls, and we had a party, and I thought, what can I buy Yukio for his, for his 30th? So I thought, I know what I'll do. I bought him a really, really expensive bottle of whiskey. You can take that back to Japan with him. You can have a tipple every, every birthday and think of me. Anyway, I presented him with this bottle of whiskey, within 25 minutes he'd down the lot he was naked running around the house with a German helmet on his head We've ne- I've never seen anybody go from sober so to such
0: a quick time do, do you know what my, ne- my, next, my next question was what was Kagayama like to be with but I think you've just answered it perfectly I mean
1: yeah, well, he, he shot me as well to be honest with you I didn't expect that
0: at all was that a bit out of character for him then
1: well I thought so I mean I didn't really know him that well I knew him as a as a teammate and a you know a, an arch rival, and a, a good bloke, really, but uh, he, he does enjoy a lot, yeah, for sure. A good, good guy he is.
0: Uh, how important are teammates? Do you need a good one? Do you need to communicate with him? Or, as you've just said, is he uh, a massive rival more than anything?
1: You need a good one, but you need to be able to beat him at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it does help if you do get on slightly. Um You know, we weren't best of mates, but, you know, he wanted to beat me as much as I wanted to beat you. I do remember, I think, at Mallory Park uh, in 2004, I was leading on the last lap going into uh, um, the the hairpin. And Jukio had had hounded me all the race long and tried to pass me. And he had a go at me on the last lap. This is when I was going for the championship. The thing is, he thought he could win the championship as well. And uh, I remember him coming around the outside of me at, at the hairpin. And I, I had to push him, push him wide, push him nearly onto the grass to stop him from overtaking me. But uh, so you can imagine, when we got back to the pits, it wasn't uh, shaking hands and you know patting each other on the back. It was like, what the hell are you doing?
0: F- firm words.
1: Firm words? Well, no, not really. There was nothing really said, but we just sort of knew. Well, I knew. I, I thought I don't need to say anything. You know, it's uh, and he didn't say anything, and Paul Denning was a bit hacked off with everything. <laughs> but there you go. But yeah, I mean. Teammates, it's, it's always hard. I remember being a teammate of Sean Evans, and to be honest with you, I, I hated him before he was my teammate. I really did. And uh, I said to the boss at the time who I was riding for, I so said, What are you doing So I can't ride with him? He said, Well, you're going to have to. When I started working with him, he turned out to be my best mate. He's a fantastic lad. Okay, he's had his problems at the moment, but uh, you know, but yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it, if you don't know anybody properly.
0: Um. Do you change much as a person during the course of the season? I mean, when you went to the last round at Donington, when it was looking like you could win, were you were you very careful about everything you did, you know, away from the track? And were you nervous going into Donington for fear of uh, of possibly losing things or having a, a bad result?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, funny you should say that. I do remember thinking that there was things I was doing Previously, that I didn't do up until, you know, for the run up for Donington. I spent most of those two weeks between Oldham Park and Donington um, thinking of all the things that could go wrong, you know, like a puncture or yeah. Sean Emmett banjoing me off at Redgate because he's going to get a bike off, off Neil <laughs> Tutsworth, you know, that sort of thing. And there's so many scenarios going through in my head. And then thinking about the Chris Walker scenario when, so it's never over till it's over, you know. And, so, no, it was quite a stressful couple of weeks, to be honest with you. Um, but you, uh, you just have to get on with it. And at the end of the day, you know, you, you, I just said to myself, you know, just try and enjoy it and do what you can do and what will be will be, really.
0: Yeah. And and you won it after the first race at Doddington at that final round, didn't you? Had you lost the sort of raison d'etre to race to a degree in the second race because you'd well, sealed it?
1: Yeah, just how I was, you know. If I was angry and, uh, you know, hated everything, I would would stand a good chance of doing well. But because I'd let my guard down, you know, all the anger and everything had gone out of me, and I was just uh, wobbling around, if you like. And I do remember, I think I was in fifth place in the last lap, and Yukio was behind me, and I think uh, he needed the points more than I did. So I think I let him pass. So, 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 yes, I've lost all that... uh, the aggression and the the will to win because I'd already done it, if you like.
0: Were you slightly disappointed to finish sixth then, despite the fact you were champion? Uh,
1: yeah, I was. But then I thought, you know what, I've, I've done the job I'm here to do, and that's to put the Suzuki on the top step, you know, to win the British Superbike Championship for Rizzo Suzuki. And that's what I was paid to do, and that's what we, uh, we did. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, whether I finished first or last in that race, in the second race at Donington, at the end of the day, the championship was won, so that was it really.
0: And how did you celebrate?
1: Oh, we had a big night. It was uh, it was quite late, and we, uh, yeah, I remember it well. It was well, I remember most of it. Past eleven, and then it all goes a bit blurry, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, it was a proper proper night, uh, as you could well imagine. And of course, Risley at the time were, you know, it was, it was it was quite a well-funded team, and they knew how to lay a party on as well.
0: And, I mean, it sounds as though your team very much shares in your success. Was it good to see them, you know, taking in the success of it all and enjoying it all? Oh, that's
1: what it's all about, yeah. I mean, it's uh, if, if you win a race or a couple of races during that day, you know, the team is ecstatic and, you know, they'll do anything for you. Really. That's the way it should be. But, uh, yeah, of course, it's, uh, it's just a great feeling. It's not such a good feeling when you have a bad day. You've got one, one of the big crew of trucking spanners around the job because he's, he's so disappointed with your performance and stuff. But,
0: that, that's yeah, a good sign in a, a way, way though, isn't it? It's a good sign. It shows yeah. he cares.
1: It shows, uh, yeah, it shows passion. And that's why it's all about passion. You've got to have passion to do the job. And you've got to want to be there. I've said before, you know, if you could run a business, obviously motorcycle racing, you don't make money out of it. It's not a a saleable commodity. I mean, you you're selling your brand. It's, it's not a money-making affair, if you like. But if all those people in that team set a company up together with the passion that they have to race a motorbike, they'll make millions. You know, it's a, it's a it'll be a proper venture to get into. What I'm trying yeah. to say is that you know, if you want to make something work, you've got to be passionate about it, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I,
0: you know, you, you're having this sort of act and. Uh... Act well beyond the call Aren't you To win It requires an X factor Doesn't it To succeed in racing
1: Yeah I think It's uh, Yeah I mean There's times And weekends Where you're you, your back's Against the wall And uh, you know You're half a second Off the pace And you've got to try And find that half a second From somewhere Well half a second On an average lap Is probably 40 or 50 yards Well you know You try and make 40 50 yards Upon a fast rider It's not going to be easy So that's when this Paul Denning said, You've just got to bite the screen and, uh, and dig in. But I do remember it, uh, I think one of the rounds at Old No, where were we? Brands Hatch. And I was struggling on a particular weekend. I was, I think, down about fourth or fifth place or something. And we went out with a qualifier on for the, uh, the last 10 minutes of the qualifying session. And I came in after one lap. I said, He said, What's up? Because obviously these qualifying times only do about two or three laps anyway. And uh, Paul Denny said, what's up? I said, it's raining. He said, it's mental rain. I thought, right, well, Paul's always right. So anyway, well, I went out. did obviously did my, the first lap, and then came past the and he's flying. And was ready to go for a flying lap. Of course, tipped into uh, um, Paddock Hill Bend, lost the front. And uh, the bar was absolutely destroyed. And got back to the pit, and he said, what's up? what happened i said mental rain <laughs> In other words, the track was wet. yeah well that's just what you're up against you know it's not Port denning was a brilliant manager like most of the manager managers i've worked with but uh, you know he, he knew how to pull the buttons and press the press the buttons to get the
0: best out of you uh, now uh, another very important member or members rather of the team are the fans um what, what sort of relationship do you have with them and how important are they? Do they give you extra horsepower?
1: Oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, it's great that, uh, you know, like on pit lane, you've got people asking for your autograph and stuff like that. I mean, it's what dreams are made of, I suppose, isn't it? Um, and, you know, seeing so many Rizzo Suzuki jackets and shirts, you know, and the crowd wearing them, it gives you a massive buzz because, you know, it makes you feel like you and the team are doing something right and people want to be part of it um yeah i mean without the fans and the stuff and you know and the supporters i mean not only we wouldn't be racing because the, you know it wouldn't work but it's, it's just great that they've got a fantastic crowd base, uh fan base and of course the Rizla suzuki was a great brand anyway you know, suzuki on its own is, is good enough but then you add the the Rizzo brand to it as well and it worked really well so uh, of course all the clothing was it looks really smart yep. and it stood out a mile so even when you go and you know on the sighting lap on, on race day, I mean, you've seen so many you know, blue shirts in the in the uh, crowd. It's it Obviously, they're wanting either you or your teammate to win. And uh, yeah, it's a great buzz. You couldn't do without it.
0: I mean, it must be great when you have a win. Uh, and they're sharing that by jumping around and uh, obviously getting as excited as you are.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's no feeling like it in the world, if you can imagine.
0: Do, do they add to the pressure?
1: No, I don't think so. I don't think they add to the pressure. I think they help you uh, cope with the pressure, I suppose. But yeah. no, there's. Um, I don't think any more pressure could have been added that year. In fact, any year I was racing, pressure was on me, and the pressure was all down to, as I said before, failure, the fear of it. I didn't want to fail and let everybody down. So,
0: you must be really proud of it to this day. Have you still got the trophy on the mantelpiece?
1: I have it in the it's in the office. Yeah, I have. But that there's there's only I think. I've only got one on this on display, to be honest with you. And two reasons for that. One is I don't want to, to have everything around the house and my lab to grow thinking that that's what you have to do to be a yeah. success. Very few, in fact, there's no photographs. There's one photograph on the wall, but uh, that's just the way it's been. You know, the rest of up in the loft and uh, and hidden away really, to be fair. But yeah, but that as I say, that one trophy is uh, is in my office, and I'm pretty proud of that one.
0: Well, look, I think we can close there, John. And, and listen, can I thank you? I, I would love to talk to you again for about five hours. I, I, as I said thank earlier, you. I, I, I really... Thank you, Chris. Yeah. No, man, I, I got a big buzz out of just looking at the results last night and sort of recalling some of the things that I could remember. Are you sort of glad to be out of it to some degree these days? You
1: know what? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I, I lay in, in hospital when I finished my career and Paul Denning came over to me and he, he said, let's talk about next year. I said, Paul, <laughs> I've finished. That's, that's me done now. Uh, this is the end of 2005. He said, don't make a decision yet. Just, you know, think about it. But you know what? When I, I decided, it was like a massive weight to come off my shoulders. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm an ex-racer now. I've retired and that's it. And I haven't got to worry about all the stress and the drama and everything else. That goes with it and uh, yeah, it was a big weight off my shoulder and to be fair you know you look at these lads now on the grid and you know I just know what they're going through and it's uh, I couldn't do it again to be honest with you. When I look back at my career I think how the hell did I do that you know I'm just a, a kid from, from Kimberley uh, to learn to sign right and then they don't a British champion you know it's, you have to pinch yourself sometimes. To be honest with you mate I've been shaking with excitement thinking about it all again
0: yeah no, thanks for that because you are enjoy it mate thank you don't worry john i really enjoyed it too you just have to like john don't you he's focused dedicated professional and so likeable thanks again for that excellent insight john anyway don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss the next inside line podcast see you then